Hello, everybody. Welcome to Technology with a Beard Extravaganza. My name is Phil Howard. Yes, I am the most bearded man in telecom. That does not make me qualified for anything. It's my years of experience that do. But today, we have a very special guest with us, Paul Sonier, author of The Fourth Wave. Paul, welcome to the show. I will get to really why you're such a big deal here in a second, but welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Phil. It's a pleasure to be on. Now, I don't even know how to introduce you because, well, let's just say this. I was reading an article the other day by you, and it mentioned the fusion of the human genome with ones and zeros, basically technology. I don't know how you want to explain that, but it's really so mind-blowing because a lot of people are talking about artificial intelligence nowadays and whether that's, you know, how far off that is. Everyone's posting this viral video of the 12-year-old kid that got hired by Google for $1.2 million. Everyone's seen that, right? But what you're proposing is literally made me imagine a human brain on a machine and we have fused the human genome with you know literally the machine so it's it's mind-blowing to even think about but i'll let you describe it because i'm sure i'm really taking it off into science fiction uh you know actually everything you've described is is accurate and already happening um so the latter point you made though about the human mind uh brought to my mind uh the brain computer interface which People like Elon Musk are working on. I think Facebook uh, is working on. There are a few other companies, uh, Colonel, uh, Brian Johnson, um, which is to really uh, read thoughts and uh, connect that with computers, connect that with uh, uh, exoskeletons and other augmentation uh, devices, robotics to enable people, uh, especially people who may have uh, uh, disabilities. Uh, things like that. But but when I talk about digital health and the fusion of genomics with the uh, digital revolution, the ones and zeros, I'm referring to something J. Craig Venter, who was one of the first to sequence the human genome uh, in 2001, he published along with a government effort also published in unison, uh, the first sequencing of the human genome. He sequenced his own actually. So basically our DNA is made up of a code, uh, a digital code. It's not ones and zeros, it's uh, a chemical basis, A, C, G, and T. Uh, so it's a four base code that uh, Craig Venter has talked about actually converting between the two. Uh, he's doing, he's developed a, a digital biological converter. Uh, so this is the science fiction that, that you're alluding to where you can convert between ones and zeros and A, C, Gs, and Ts and basically do things like create synthetic life, which, which he's done. But more importantly, you can identify viruses. Basically, you can find a flu virus uh, that's becoming a pandemic, like we had the H1N1 flu virus uh, a few years back, and rapidly sequence that and develop a vaccine for it and produce that uh, when, in, perhaps in the past, it would take several months before that could happen because typically during the flu season, we know which viruses may become pandemics, but sometimes in the case of H1N1, 
the, the bird flu, we didn't know until the last minute. And then we had to react. And that's why I think the number of deaths were estimated in hundreds of thousands uh, as, uh, ultimately as a result of it. So the point is, is that the digital code for computers, uh, ones and zeros, is the same essentially as the digital code or can be converted between the digital code for our DNA. And that's why we see things like CRISPR coming along for gene editing uh, of our DNA. And, and that's being used uh, in medicine right now. The FDA has approved a couple of treatments for that. So it's a fascinating time and it's, you know, science fiction is now reality. It's, I would really need to pause and our entire audience would hear <laughs> blankness for the next 10 minutes for me to comprehend everything that you just said. But I will, I, tried to simplify I, will it. <laughs> I will move on. I mean, I get it. Code and, a, you know, what do you call it? Like a four digit se um, sequence for the human genome? Correct. So four base pairs. So there's billions of them in our, in our uh, genome. And there's about 20,000 or so coding uh, uh, genes. Uh, and these are the ones, you know, when we talk about 23andMe uh, and companies like that that are basically doing uh, analysis uh, of our, our genetics, our, our genomics, and can impart value to uh, consumers for uh, things like looking at their disease risk based on other uh, full population of other people who have been sequenced. And we can correlate what that population is experiencing as far as certain diseases with the genes that they have, the expressions and any variations in these genes and look at your own genes and say, well, uh, your likelihood based on what you have compared to this other population is say 50% higher risk of having heart disease or diabetes or certain types of cancer. We can also look at what uh, you may pass on to your offspring. So you can do parental planning, uh, you know, which is basically a Mendelian inheritance. Uh, which we've known about for a, a very long time. So this conversion, uh, this uh, fusion of the digital world and the genomics world is really what I've defined as digital health and the impact that that's having on our health, healthcare, living society is rapidly becoming this fourth wave uh, building upon uh, Alvin Toffler's third wave, which he was talking about the digital revolution and how that's transforming society. So now what I talk about in my new book is this fourth wave, and that is the, the fusion, as you pointed out, of genomics and uh, the digital revolution. So when I was in college, they had not mapped out the human genome, and that was not a long time ago. I mean, I'm 41, so I, mean, I guess some people would say that's a long time ago, and I can pigeonhole a bunch of millennials into some hole here probably and talk about millennials, which I think is a ridiculous topic. But what do you remember when the human genome was completely mapped out and is there you know is there a code for every aspect of you know dna is there like it's you know one zero zero one two for you know this chromosome or something like that like what and is this even am i even in line here with i mean was that like a big thing for you when that happened it was a boeing at the time so my career has been in technology, uh, digital technology, aerospace, mobile devices. I worked at Motorola. Uh, I worked in wireless medical devices. So I'm not, I don't have a life sciences background per se, 
And, and that's the interesting thing that, that you're actually highlighting via your question is that traditionally genomics has been part of the life sciences. And now that we're seeing that it is this digital code and that uh, the costs of sequencing have gone down thanks to computers and thanks to the fact that DNA is digital, uh, we're seeing this, this amplification or this acceleration in the field of genomics that wasn't possible. So when Craig Venter sequenced the genome, he used computers to do that. And now we've got companies like Illumina uh, and others who are reducing the costs and creating really this Silicon Valley type approach to what has traditionally been a life science. Uh, mm. So I don't remember it actually when that happened, but the light bulb came off for me uh, when I saw that these two are, are very much uh, one and the same. They're both digital. Uh, computer code and our, and our life code essentially are both digital. And so that brings forth a world of opportunities uh, and that's what we're seeing happening. So if we come back, I mean, for me, coming back to Earth on a daily basis, on a daily basis, what do you do other than give talks and blow people's minds? What do you do on a daily basis to give back to the world of, of digital health or the healthcare industry? What do you do on a daily basis? Well, I, I consider myself an educator, uh, as a social entrepreneur, an educator, and uh, an evangelist, if you will. So I got interested in this space uh, focused mainly on wireless. I was working at Motorola here in San Diego in 2009, and I was part of an organization, an uh, industry group here called ComNexus at the time. Uh, and they had a special interest group called Healthcare Communications. Mm -hmm. And really what they were looking at is this uh, convergence of computers and wireless. Qualcomm is here in San Diego too, uh, mm -hmm. and was a big part of this organization and healthcare and health and fitness. Uh, so sort of very, I wouldn't say narrow focus, but very specific. And when I found out about this, I got excited. I said, this is fascinating. And I created a group on LinkedIn called Wireless Health San Diego. I figured, you know, there must be a lot of people uh, talking about this already. And I saw people from around the world starting to join my group. And I thought that was interesting to see. And I noticed that people were using a bunch of other terms to talk about essentially what I was talking about as well, mHealth and eHealth, uh, health IT, uh, telehealth and telemedicine. So a lot of these terms were, were out uh, being used by, by different stakeholders. And fast forward a few years and uh, a book came out by Dr. Eric Topol called The Creative Section of Medicine, uh, How the Digital Revolution is, Will Create Better Healthcare. I thought that's interesting. So he's talking about the digital revolution and what that's doing for healthcare. And I thought, well, basically all these terms I'm seeing are fundamentally digital. And he even had genomics in his book. And I said, well, okay, that's interesting. And he talked about how the computer revolution, you know, the digital revolution and automation and robotics has accelerated the field of genomics. So I said, hmm, okay, well, if all these other things that are happening are digital and genomics, is being accelerated by the digital revolution. Well, why not call it digital health, expand my focus beyond just wireless. And mm -hmm. so I renamed my group in 2012. Uh, I had several thousand members uh, at the time, and now it's up to nearly 60,000. And basically said, hey, everyone, I think everything we're seeing now, uh, all these terms, you know, really fall under the banner of digital health. And, and also genomics is part of that, which no one had uh, thought about 
uh, or, or recognized or, or stated publicly. So I rebranded my group, renamed it to Digital Health, and basically started promulgating this definition. And this was 2012, early 2012. And so fast forward to 2016, and I was preparing to do a keynote uh, presentation at a conference. And I realized that, you know, it's much, it's much bigger than just health and, and healthcare, uh, but really living in society or being impacted by the digital revolution. You know, as you and I see every day, right? We're on our phones constantly. You know, there's even the negative consequences of uh, you know, cell phone, smartphone addiction, uh, mm. but also the positives of the digital revolution, right? Where you can connect with friends and family more easily you can, uh, you know, have social networks uh, and genomics, like I mentioned, is really starting to impact medicine. It's also, uh, it also has huge uh, applications for agriculture. Mm-hmm. And so I thought this is interesting. And I, I'd, I recalled Alvin Toffler had written a book called The Third Wave in the 1980s. And I didn't read it then, but I come across it subsequently through the work of Steve Case, uh, uh, for one person who was talking about him, because he also wrote a book called uh, The Third Wave. And he talked about the third wave of the internet and he paid homage to Alvin Toffler in his book, who wrote the original third wave, which was about the digital revolution. And so basically what Toffler speaks about is this, uh, these three great waves of sociocultural evolution or human progress, wherein technology, major technological changes impact society. Uh, so you don't have major technology uh, taking place in the world and industry and in our lives without also uh, a major impact and change in society. So he talked about the agricultural revolution being the first wave, the second wave being the industrial era, the first and second industrial revolutions, and then the third wave being the digital revolution and its impact on society, of course. But he also mentioned, and this was interesting to see subsequent, was he talked about the genetic revolution. He called it the genetic revolution and how that could change the world and how the combination of that with the digital revolution would be the fourth wave. So lo and behold, you know, there was something even bigger than just digital health and digital health was analogous to the fourth wave. And so he had actually, you know, he didn't write the fourth wave, but he had alluded to it. And uh, via the work that I had been doing these last several years, observing what was happening, sharing what I learned, uh, I came across this, uh, really what I'm calling this fourth wave, which is digital health. Uh, and it's creating a new era of human progress. It's, so it's probably definitely a, a, wave. a bunch of big concepts again, I apologize. No, no, it's definitely a wave. And while you were talking, I was thinking of how many people are going to, you mentioned surfing when we were talking earlier before the, mm-hmm. you know, before doing the podcast. How many people are going to drown in this wave? How many people are going to crash in this wave? How many come? Because from my perspective, yeah. and I'm a, a wireless guy as well. I used to do a lot of fixed wireless stuff, a lot of microwave, long haul microwave, backhaul stuff. And then um, I worked for a company called Airband for a while. And we did a lot of, we actually did a lot of hospitals, either backup internet connections mm-hmm. or hard to reach internet connections. The, the wireless inside itself is a whole nother, it's just a whole nother animal. But even today, looking at all the various different EMR companies and all the, there's just so many software products out there. I see there being an issue with just 
communication between all these various different software products and something's going to culminate and come to a head at some point. Uh, I, I was reading an article the other day about someone saying, let's just be able to take our medical records. Let's have like a, a like everyone, every human being has some sort of password or something there. All their medical records are stored and mm -hmm. kind of stored in the cloud that you can take your medical records anywhere, which I thought was amazing. But how can we do that right now when this doctor's office has, you know, one patient software, another doctor's office has a, a different software. One has all scripts. One has amazing charts. One has, you know, XYZ. I go to the dentist. They have Dentrix. This other one has Eaglesoft. And a lot of times just migrating from one software to another, if you're even coming off an old software, it's not an easy process. And it's, you know, it's a six month, it's a six month process for some doctor's offices to move from one software to the next, let alone paper charts to digital. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I do know that you had a post the other day that talked about, you know, you know some doctor losing her medical license because she refused to yeah. you know, accept the, the digital error. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, you know, a uh, lot of great points in there. So interoperability is the, the, the key word or buzzword uh, describing the, the big issues that uh, really these EHR companies have created by not having uh, their systems having a, a common uh, communications method, you know, for that data sharing, right? Uh, so we've got these silos. And this is healthcare, right? But really, I mean, you could even look back to, you know, the computer the software revolution with Microsoft and others where you have proprietary software there as well. So, you know, we're, we're seeing that in healthcare as well. And the government, uh, I forget how many years ago, it was the High Tech Act uh, provided incentives to healthcare uh, systems and doctors' practices to digitize, right? Because as you pointed out, this transition from uh, traditional paper records to digital records can be expensive and costly. Uh, so the government provided incentives for that. And I think those may have expired recently, but I think a large percentage of healthcare providers are now digitized, um, but still there's the interoperability issue. So, so certainly, you know, even broader than just healthcare, there are going to be those who are left behind either by choice, like you pointed out the, the news about this physician in New York, I think she was, who refused to go digital. And that, I think that created issues around opioid abuse tracking. Um, mm. And that was one of the major, uh, and I think also as far as prescriptions, uh, uh, and how uh, the dosage and things like that. So it was pretty interesting, you know, so I, you know, there's, there's obviously a whole story to why she lost her license. It wasn't just saying no to digital. Uh, although maybe that was, that was, that was her principle. And so everything that flowed from that was the reason. Um, but it's an interesting story and I'm sorry, say that again. Well, I mean, yeah, just writing scripts alone. Like my father, he's, um, he's 81. He, he just, he's retired twice. He, like most or like a lot of doctors probably just couldn't stop being a doctor and he told me one day he's like Phil well people look at me and they ask me how old I am and even though I can still do surgery they're a little bit nervous that an 81 year old guy's doing mm -hmm. surgery on him so I have to retire but he still has mm -hmm. you can still write a paper script you can still take a piece of paper sure. write, you know and it's it wouldn't be that hard to counterfeit probably you know write down give me this much Vicodin 
and send someone off with it or print it up on a computer. So, uh, you know, I think they track that, you know, I'm not an expert on that system, but, uh, but you know, there are benefits too to having a printed copy because you don't need a digital device to be turned on or working. You can just have that and go to a pharmacy. But I think that they do check with the physician offices and say, did you prescribe this? Uh, no, they definitely positive. do. But there's, even as a retired physician, you can still renew licenses and do things mm -hmm. like this. I'm just, I can just see it being an issue if you didn't have an office anymore or you're, you didn't have anything digitized and everything was on paper. Are you giving any talks anytime soon? I have one. Uh, since I published the book, I've had a number of inquiries uh, to deliver my keynote in Canada, of all places. I have one coming up in Leipzig, Germany, in I think it's March of next year at a conference called Expo Met. Uh, so that'll be exciting. My first time there, there's going to be a few thousand people. Uh, so the hope is that the book will, you know, not only sell well, but generate more interest in my keynotes uh, mm. because I really enjoy speaking to audiences and, and sharing what I'm learning and, uh, you know, and what I've identified, you know, at this point I've through my own learning and sharing, I've actually identified something that I think is missed. Right. And it's something that's impacting the whole world. Uh, so it's kind of uh, fascinating when you think about that, but, you know, also talking to you on this show uh, is a great opportunity to reach uh, a bigger and wider audience that maybe is outside of these, these other stakeholder groups. Like we we're talking about healthcare a lot. The majority of my group on LinkedIn uh, comes from healthcare, or at least the largest percentage, I think it's about 15% are in the healthcare industry, you know, but they're also in every other industry group. Uh, because the digital revolution is impacting every industry. You know, it's impacting all stakeholders, consumers, uh, policymakers, you know, regulators. The FDA has a digital health group. They're actually using that term now. Uh, and they're working with companies like Apple uh, and other companies to remove barriers for innovation and digital health to occur, reduce costs, and, and really bring these consumer digital uh, innovation models to health and healthcare, or at least attempt to do that as much as possible while also ensuring safety uh, of patients. Yes. So it's a fascinating time. It is one of my favorite. Um, I have a lot of vertical markets that I work in, but one of my favorites is home healthcare. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm a telecom guy, so unified communications and home healthcare go hand in hand because you've got multiple offices or satellite offices you have, you know, physicians, nurses traveling or, or physical therapists traveling to locations to people at home all the time. And they have wireless devices with them. They have phones in the office. So there has to be a way to communicate easily with all these patients, all of these people. And if you just had, you know, the old school analog phone system, it's just not going to cut it in that environment anymore. Right. And part of, you know, I don't know, people just living a more fulfilling life is to being, is, you know, being able to be at home longer. So um, just one of the reasons why I like, right. you know, home, home healthcare as an industry is growing, is growing, in my opinion, very fast. I don't know what the statistics actually are. That's just what I see. So if people want to get a hold of your book, it uh, looks like obviously we could go on Amazon, The Fourth Wave, just go on Amazon and search The Fourth Wave and they can get your book, correct? 
Correct. Uh, the fourth wave digital health, uh, so colon. And I have a website, fourthwavebook.com. It's pretty easy to find. So, If you had one final message to deliver to people listening to the show, what would that be? Well, I think I'd, I'd touch on what you mentioned about winners and losers, let's say. So really, you know, we can decide consciously to, to identify solutions that could help us uh, in our health and healthcare, of course, but, you know, also being educated on the impact to our lives, right? Like I mentioned, smartphone addiction, right? Mm. So especially when it comes to children, right, and teens and their issues around depression uh, in teens. So I think knowledge is power. So I think the message I have to everyone is to really just learn as much as possible, become informed. Uh, and the nice thing is, is that we have the power, all of us, uh, not just businesses, but consumers uh, and patients. Uh, if we become patients, typically we are at one point or another in our lives, uh, to you know, basically use these tools and improve our lives. Uh, and catalyze and accelerate this this new era of human progress so i you know that's really the message is is to uh see what's happening acknowledge it and and be empowered to to make it happen and improve our own lives and those of our families the the teen depression and smartphones is a huge issue i'm going to ask you back mm -hmm. For another show, we're gonna to have to dig in deeper on that one because that's actually <laughs> very important. I don't know if I'm no, it's true, and I can I can point you to some experts on that subject for sure. They're in my book. Or let's have them on. Let's have like a let's have a group panel discussion on there. I have seven kids, so um, oh, wow. I'm not letting them getting I'm not letting them get addicted to uh, smartphone yeah. addiction. And I, right. I wrote an it's funny I wrote an article about Chick Fil A the other day because I was in Chick Fil A, mm -hmm. and it there's a clear there's a clear differentiating factor between the Chick-fil-A hires, the people who work at Chick-fil-A and the people that work at every other fast food restaurant. Sorry. You know, Chick-fil-A has it down. They say my pleasure, but I was in Chick-fil-A and I'm looking around the room and it's, it's a new Chick-fil-A. It's in Worcester and it's packed with, you know, high school kids after, after practice. I mean, kids coming in with their best friends. And when I was younger, you just didn't sit down with your best friends and everyone's sitting at a table and everyone's on their phone. I really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Phil. Um, yeah, man, it was great. And we'll, uh, we'll have you on the show again. No, I appreciate it, Phil. It's great speaking with you. And I love your show. Like I said, I heard some of your other uh, programs and you're doing a great job. Thanks, man. Have a great night. You too. Thank you.